Greetings from First Love Ministries from the First Presbyterian Church of Jacksonville, Illinois on this June 27th, 2021. Reverend Jonathan Warren, fresh back from his vacation, has titled his sermon, Not Beyond Reach. Our special music selection, My Master Has a Garden, is performed by vocalist Catherine Ott and flutist Christine Smith. Our first scripture reading comes to us from 1 Corinthians 8, 7 through 15. Our second scripture reading comes to us from Mark 5, 21 through 43. The scripture reading comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 7 through 15. Let us listen to the word of God. It is not everyone, however, who has this knowledge, since some have become so accustomed to idols until now, they still think of the food they eat as food offered to an idol, and their conscience, being weak, is defiled. Food will not bring us close to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat, and no better off if we do. But take care that this liberty of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if others see you, who possesses knowledge, eating the temple of the idol, might they not, since their conscience is weak, be encouraged to point of eating food sacrificed to idols? So by your knowledge, those weak believers for whom Christ died are destroyed. But when you thus sin against members of your family, and wound their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food is a cause of their falling, I will never eat meat so that I may not cause one of them to fall. This is the word of the God, of the Lord. Sorry, thanks be to God. My master hath a garden all filled with dark forest flowers that amazed that Oh, my. 
gentle-sounding flute. gospel reading comes to us from the gospel of Mark chapter 5 verses 21 through 43. Let us listen to the word of God this morning. When Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered around him and he was by the sea. Then one of the leaders of the synagogue named Jairus came, and when he saw him, fell at his feet and begged him repeatedly, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. So he went with him. And a large crowd followed him and pressed in on him. Now there was a woman who had been suffering from hemorrhages for twelve years. She'd endured much under many physicians and had spent all that she had, and she was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak, for she said, If I but touch his clothes, I will be made well. Immediately her hemorrhage stopped, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. Immediately, Aware that power had gone forth from him, Jesus turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my clothes? His disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing in on you. How can you say who touched me? He looked all around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling, fell down before him and told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, some people came from the leader's house to say, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? Overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the leader of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. He allowed no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the house of the leader of the synagogue, he saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. When he had entered, he said to them, Why do you make a commotion and weep? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. Then he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, get up. And immediately the girl got up and began to walk about. She was 12 years of age. At this, they were overcome with amazement strictly ordered them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. This is the word of the Lord. After college, I lived in Kenya, Africa for a year as a missionary. I was part of an American group of four young adults. 
Near the end of our year, we took a two-week trip to a neighboring country, Tanzania. We were in a very rural and poor area of that country. Soon after our arrival, my missionary colleague and friend, Marta Johnson, became very frustrated. Now, you have to know Marta. She was granola, a, a vegetarian. Nobody could tell her to shave her legs or do anything she didn't want to. She was way smarter and articulate than me, a very headstrong woman, which I really respected. One time I did get her to eat meat, and she liked it, but only once. Now, I'd seen her mad before, and, I, and usually she'd shake it off with a clever joke, but this time she couldn't. So I asked her why she was so frustrated. Women. The way they treat women here. Didn't you see it, Jonathan? Do you have to clean your clothes? No. Well, we're expected to. Do you get your own food? No, we're guests, Marta. Well, we're expected to help cook it. Then she told me what really frustrated her. The family has a son and a daughter, and they don't have enough money to send them both to school. Guess who finishes high school and who doesn't? These smart young teenage daughters who are cooking your food and cleaning your clothes, Jonathan. I was oblivious. We just arrived in Tanzania, and I had no clue what was happening around me. 22-year-old, white, educated, middle-class American man, me, was clueless until she told me her experience. Now, in today's scripture reading, we hear a story about Jesus healing two women, not just any women, but two individuals who are on the absolute margins of society. They don't count. They have nothing to offer no money or power or status. When we hear this story, the first person we encounter is not a woman, but one of the leaders of the synagogue. The person I spoke about, Jairus, he has influence in the community. He's seen and heard, and he's absolutely desperate. His 12-year-old daughter is dying, and he asks Jesus to come and heal her. Now, in the hierarchy of the Roman world, a 12-year-old girl has no standing or importance. Yet Jesus comes to her aid. But on his way, Jesus is surrounded by a crowd, and he encounters a woman who's been hemorrhaging for 12 years. She'd be considered ritually unclean these 12 long years, meaning she wouldn't be part of any community, religious activities, like a leper. And now shame has pushed her down so far that all she can muster is to touch Jesus' robe. She has no status, no money. We don't even know her name. But somehow, she knows deep in her being that if given the chance, Jesus will heal her. There's a powerful part in our church service that can easily be overlooked or pushed aside, shared together without a second thought. 
the prayer of confession. Unison prayers of confession are about how we collectively, purposefully, maybe unknowingly sin against God and neighbor. I'd imagine some of us wonder at times why we say these words week after week. Why do we confess communal sin together? Our family just returned from vacation, visiting Siobhan's family in Tucson, and on our way home, we traveled through northern Arizona, one of the most beautiful drives we've ever taken. We spent hours driving through the Navajo Nation. We were both surprised by how some of the houses looked. Small, dilapidated, some with pieces of plywood on the side of their house. Some of the windows were boarded. There was a moment when we drove through it. I said out loud to Siobhan, this isn't their fault. We did this. We're doing this. And in that moment, I took a deep breath. And I realized why this unison prayer of confession is so necessary. We discover that every person in this room, every person in our world is in need of restoration and healing. For we all sin. Our world is in great need of grace and peace, hope and love. I know there's folks here with illness or loved ones who are struggling. Many either here or around us are facing worry and anxiety. This pandemic has been a major shock to our system. It's like we've been in emergency mode for 16 months and it's impossible just to go back to life as it used to be without being changed. And all this, is why confession is so necessary. It recognizes that we aren't perfect and that we need help in this world. And something that we're all in need of is healing. Period. We're all in desperate need of healing. Now, as we look closer at today's scripture reading, you might have discovered discovered a surprising connection. The woman with no name has been hemorrhaging for how many years? And the daughter who is dying is how old? Twelve. Twelve years. Number twelve makes us think of the twelve disciples and the twelve tribes of Israel. And in the Bible, numbers often have a deeper meaning. My Bible dictionary says this about the number twelve. Israel was constituted by God as a people of 12 tribes descended from the 12 sons of Jacob. 12 thus often had the connotation people of God, carried over into the church with the designation of Jesus' apostles as the 12. Thus, Revelation 21, 9 through 14 combines the two images. Now, I didn't get how it connected to our story until I read it aloud for a second time, 12, thus often had the connotation, people of God. 
Remember these two women? They don't count. They have nothing to offer the world, no money or power or status. And on his way to heal Jairus' 12-year-old daughter, Jesus encounters a woman who's so ashamed that she can't even ask for him to heal her. Then this chance encounter, the woman with no name has been sick for 12 years. 12 tells us that she is part of the tribe. She is part of the people of God. She's not beyond Jesus' reach, and when he heals her, he even calls her daughter. In the midst of healing this unnamed woman, synagogue leader Jairus learns that it's too late. His daughter is dead. But Jesus tells Jairus not to fear, but to believe. And without fanfare, they go at once to Jairus' home. And Jesus takes the girl's hand, saying, Talitha kum which means little girl, get up. And immediately this girl got up and began to walk about. She was 12 years of age. This 12-year-old girl is one of the people of God. Nobody is beyond the reach of Jesus. Jesus came to heal all of God's people, even the ones in our culture who literally have nothing to offer. There is no one beyond Jesus' reach. Sometimes we feel like we aren't the person who needs to be prayed for. Sometimes we think someone else has it worse off than I do. But this story about two unimportant women shows us that Jesus gives restoration and health to people who might seem out of reach. And Jesus, in this story, says that we all are part of this family. We all deserve to be heard. We all are seen. Jesus goes to every length to provide the healing that we need. So we too need to stretch ourselves. We need to reach beyond those people who are seen, those people who are unseen. And sometimes we need friends to point unseen folks out to us especially like me in Tanzania, who wasn't always aware. Now the truth is we often miss the mark. But as Christians, we don't need to live in a place of guilt or shame when we gather together each week and we confess our sins. We don't stop there. Immediately after we confess these sins, we hear the assurance of pardon we know and hear that Christ forgives our sins. Jesus brings healing and restoration to us all. Which means that we can go out from this place of worship and into our world knowing that all are included in God's tribe. So who is God asking you to reach out to? Open your eyes. There's folks all around us, just like you and me. We're all in desperate need of Christ's love and assurance and healing. And God might be calling you.
extend your hand. Allow them to know the healing and restoration and assurance of Jesus Christ. To know that they are loved. Know that you are loved. Go out into this world. Extended to all. In the name of our Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The congregation and visitors can now enter through the east or north doors. Our in-person service starts at 10 a.m. We do, however, ask that you keep your mask on while moving about in the building. In the sanctuary, there are two sections, one for vaccinated and one for unvaccinated individuals. The ushers will guide you to the section of your choice. Those in the vaccinated section can now sing without a mask. Join us at www.facebook.com slash slash and join our Monday First Pres Jacks community group which meets at 7 p.m. every Monday. This is a question, answer, and sharing group with the pastor. This is a private room and you will be asked a few questions before entering to make sure you are a human and not a robot. Presbyterians with a Purpose is another program available at the First Presbyterian Church of Jacksonville for individuals needing to contact someone during these challenging times of the pandemic. You can visit that link. Just visit our homepage and find the link for Presbyterians with a Purpose. We also offer a Sunday live service starting at 9.55 a.m. You can visit www.firstpresjax.org slash donate and make your contribution there. Or send contributions to First Presbyterian Church, 870 West College, Jacksonville, Illinois, 62650. You also can contribute through your bank using bill pay. If an account number is needed, please use 870-870-870. Our phone number is 217-245-4189. Our email is office at firstpresjax.org. That's office at F-I-R-S-T. P-R-E-S-J-A-X dot O-R-G.